Romans chapter 5, um, I'm going to begin reading at verse 20, and we're going to go into chapter 6 and read a couple verses, actually four verses in chapter 6. Romans chapter 5, verse 20. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin had reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. And he's still thinking the same thought. He's still in the same train of thought. It's a division in the chapter, but the train of thought has not changed. So he says in chapter 6, verse 1, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And, and my understanding is that the Apostle Paul in Greek used the strongest possible language he could use and said, God forbid. How shall we that are dead in sin live any longer therein? And then go down to verse 14 of that same chapter. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? And again, strongest possible language he could use. God forbid. <clears throat> so we started a series a couple weeks ago. Um, I, I titled it, Keeping It Between the Ditches. When you look into the Word of God, there are doctrines in God's Word that almost look like they stand in contradiction to one another. They're paradoxical in that they look like they're presenting two contradictory truths. And, 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 and while that's not the case, there, there are no contradictions in the doctrines in the Bible. Um, they complement one another. But sometimes in our effort to resolve the paradoxes, we run ourselves into the ditch. Um, these, these, these biblical doctrines that seem to contradict each other but really complement each other um, create tension for us. Um, and we can't figure out which way it's trying to pull us. And so sometimes in our, in our attempt to reconcile or resolve the seeming contradictions, we run off the road. We don't stay on that straight and narrow path and I said to you in the first message that I don't believe these I don't believe first I don't believe anybody understands everything that there is to understand about God's word and obviously some of us got some things wrong because we don't all agree on some things my fellowship with other pastors who believe differently than I do on some matters has been good for me because I realized that there are these tensions that can't always be completely resolved and reconciled in our own hearts and minds nor do they need to be um, God didn't call us to reconcile and resolve them all. He called us to believe them all and to live between them all. That keeps us out of the ditches on both sides. So last week we considered two of the biggest tensions in God's Word. And those tensions involve the very nature and character of God. And when you get the nature and character of God wrong, then all your doctrine that comes out of that is going to be wrong. So when you get in the ditch about the nature and character of God, you're going to wind up in the ditch all over the place on a lot of different, on your, on your beliefs, on your values, on your convictions, on certain matters. And so, and so these, these, this is the paradox that we looked at last week. Is God holy or is God loving? Is God holy or is God love? The answer to that is he's both. And he's not more holy than he is loving, and he's not more loving than he is holy. He is equally holy and equally loving. Now that doesn't sound right to us. 
that God could be both, but He is. And that's the way the Bible uh, presents Him in equal measure. And I told you last week, if you, if you err in this, um, and you don't, have to, you don't have to be a grievous error. You, you, you don't have to say God is only holy and God is not love. You can simply say God is more holy than He is loving and you'll get in a ditch of legalism. Or you can flip that script and say God is more loving than He is holy and you'll get in a ditch of lawlessness. Liberal, liberal theology, if you will. So you gotta, you've got to keep this that God is holy and God is love and He is equally both and there's no contradiction between the two. They complement one another. We don't have to fully understand that or reconcile that or resolve that. We just live between those parameters. We keep it between the ditches. So, in the New Testament, you can see this worked out. He referenced both Corinthians and Galatians, which is interesting. Because when you get to Galatians, Paul is battling legalism. He's fighting a battle against people that are adding things to what's necessary for salvation. A legalistic, well, you've accepted Christ, that's good. You've been baptized, good. You've got to be circumcised. You've got to follow the Jewish law. And so Paul's fighting this battle, and he's like, if you if you you you're making the gospel of none effect because you're 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 following all these rules, thinking um, that that makes you righteous, and you've already been made righteous by the Holy Spirit working in you. And then when you get to First Corinthians, he's battling the the opposite of that. When he starts diving into the problems in the church, he's like, you guys are living. I mean, they were even the Lord's Supper. They were getting drunk and trying to eat ahead of each other, and they, all kind of abuses going on in the church. Immorality, sexual immorality, and so he's battling. People are already even before the apostles died out. People are already running off in the ditch with their theology, um, misrepresenting the nature and character of God, or run you off into those ditches. And, and when you make that error in 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 trying to resolve the tension of God's character, ultimately it leads to error in two of the Bible's biggest subjects. Now this is what I found as, I, as I've started this series. It's easier for me to preach from the ditch than it is the middle of the road. Because if I want to talk to you about God's holiness, I can talk to you about God's holiness, and I can be strong, and I can be firm. But it's hard for me to also preach to you about God's love at the same time. So it's easier to preach from the ditch. And sometimes I think that's what we have to do. I have to preach to you God's holiness this week, and then next week, even though you think it sounds like a contradiction, I preach to you God's love so that somewhere we find ourselves in the middle of these two doctrines and we walk that straight and narrow path. But if you err in this God is holy, God is love, then you also get in the ditch on two of the biggest subjects in God's Word, which is the law and grace. The law and grace. If you, if you misrepresent the character of God, you're going to find yourself in the ditch on one of these doctrines, or both of these doctrines. And, and a lot of people have made this error to the point that they have actually pitted the Old Testament against the New Testament as if they are enemies of each other. But I've heard some go, far, go so far as to say, just unhitch yourself from the Old Testament, you don't need it anymore. Now, I, here's a big problem with that. When Jesus preached and taught the Bible, He taught the Old Testament. 
When Peter, James, and John taught the Bible, they taught the Old Testament. They used the Old Testament to teach the doctrines of faith. They're not enemies of each other. We don't have to unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament, which most would consider to be the law, in order to receive the grace of God that we find in the Lord Jesus Christ. They, they, they don't contradict one another. They complement one another. In fact, the best way I've ever heard it put is um, that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. God has opened up His entire plan to us. We see the law and, and grace, not as enemies. And, and by the way, if you take that, we don't, need the law te- we don't need the Old Testament anymore. we got a New Testament. God authored both of them. And, 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 and he's not contradicting himself, and he didn't change his mind. He started from the beginning, and he took it to the end and gave us the whole scope of his plan and his purpose of redemption. But let me just start with a simple premise. And again, this is, I, I find this hard. It's harder to preach this entangling the two doctrines than it is to preach them separately. So, so hang with me. I don't, have any, I don't have any fancy outlines. I found it almost impossible to outline when you're trying to teach these doctrines. Um, so so I, I'm, I'm trying to blend them together, and later on we'll pull them apart and look at them one at a time. But let's start with a simple premise. God is good. Amen? Amen? All the time. God is good. God gave us the law, therefore the law is good. God gave us grace, therefore grace is So the law is good and grace is good. And I will readily admit to you that how they fit together is sometimes very difficult to understand and can be very confusing to us. But they are not enemies. Um, Spurgeon, this is is something that I, I read that Spurgeon wrote about the law and grace. He said, some men put the law instead of the gospel. Others put the gospel... Instead of the law. Some modify the law and the gospel and preach neither law nor gospel. And others entirely abrogate the law by bringing in the gospel. And can I tell you, all of those are errors. And that's the point that Spurgeon was making is that you can't take any one of those positions and reconcile it with the whole counsel of God's word. It's all error. Now that ain't, even with Spurgeon ain't easy to understand anyway. He's a prince of preachers, but now he gets deep. He can take a verse of scripture and preach two hours on it. Y'all lucky I ain't Spurgeon. Amen. He'd hold 10, 20,000 people's attention for two hours. But listen, that, that ain't, even that statement is not easy for us to wrap our mind around, but it illustrates for us how easy it is to bounce between the ditches on these things. And the truth of the matter is, is we... All of us have probably at some point in our explanation of the Bible or our understanding of the Bible, we've, all of us have probably been in every one of those ditches that Spurgeon talked about. Trying to reconcile these doctrines instead of just believing them and trying to live between them. Now there are literally hundreds if not thousands of verses that people will use to prove any and every position regarding the law and grace. You, you can pull out this verse and pull out that verse and pull out that verse and prove how important the law is. And, and then you can, you can turn right around and pull out this verse and this verse. Even in Paul's writing in Romans, 
you can pull out those verses and says we don't need the law anymore. And so, I, and I'm not going to do that this morning. But if you take and cherry pick, you can prove whatever position that you want to prove about the law or about grace. I simply want to prove to you this morning that the law and grace are not enemies, they're friends. And they're not working against each other, they're working with each other. And their work with each other is to work for our good and for God's glory. And so let me just kind of connect it to last week's sermon real quick and see if you can get in this same line of thought that God's had me in um, for months now as I've been kind of putting together this series. When you talk about God being a, a holy God and God being a loving God, what the law does is connect us with the holiness of God. It is reflective of God's character. But when you look at the grace of God that's been revealed to us in the Lord Jesus Christ, God's grace is reflective of His love for us. And so you see, the law and grace are both balancing. They help us see God for who He truly is. They help us worship Him for who He truly is. They help us serve Him for who He truly is. Jesus is both our Savior, right? That's grace. And He is our Lord. He is our Master. That's law. As Savior and Lord, Jesus reveals both the law of God, the holiness of God, and the love of God and the grace of God. We see that fulfilled completely in Christ. So in Romans chapter 5, verse 20, Paul said that the law entered... So that the offense might abound. Now, he made this clear another place. I'm not going to go back and, and try to pull all of this up. But um, he said before the law came, sin was already in the world. It didn't, it didn't take the law to introduce the world to sin. Sin was in the world. And men were condemned under sin before the law ever came. But what, but what the law did was made sin exceedingly easy to see. What the law did was expose sin it made the offense abound because it was codified on tablets of stone. It was codified by the voice of God speaking to his servant Moses, pinned on paper, on papyrus, and handed to the people so that there was no excuse for it anymore. It's no longer just verbally handed down. It's no longer just in our conscience. It's written for us to see so that we're without excuse. The law came so that people might see the abundance of the offense of their lives towards God. But then Paul went on to say that when that sin abounded, that God's grace did much more abound. So he said in, chapter, in, in, that, in that 20th verse the, that God's law revealed our sin in an abundant fashion, and then God's grace removed our sin in an even more abundant fashion. It helped us realize that we were sinners, in an abundant way, and then it applied God's grace to our life and freed us from that sin in an abundant way. So they worked together. Um, we would not have even known how much we needed God's grace had the law not made it abound in our life. Until we were convinced that we were sinners, we never leaned into Christ for a Savior. I appreciate what Jonathan said. When he goes into those villages, he preaches, that, uh, he preaches sin and repentance. That's the same message John the Baptist preached. That's the same message Jesus preached. That's the same 
a message that every writer of the New Testament, when the men's hearts were pricked in the book of Acts, what do we have to, what do, we have to do to be saved? Repent. Repent of what? Of sin. How did you know you had sin? Because the law told me that I was a sinner. And then Paul said, repent of sin. Or Peter said, repent of sin and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. That's the law and grace working hand in hand to bring a sinner to salvation. We would not have known we needed grace had the law not revealed that, great, that need to us. And, in the, and, in, and I'm not going to go back and read these verses again, but Romans 6, 1 and 2, Paul, Paul asked this rhetorical question and then answered it. He's like, so, if the law showed us how sinful we are and then grace was even more abundant in our life, freeing us from that sin, should we keep on living in sin so that grace can keep on abounding more and more? And he said, God forbid. How can we that are dead to sin keep living in it? He reiterated the same thing um, in, in verses 14 and, and 15, the same truth. We're not under the penalty of the law, but grace also frees us from sin's power. The penalty has been paid, and by grace the power has been broken. In our life. Jesus said this in his first sermon. Matthew chapter 5 verse 17. Think not that I am come to destroy the law. Or the prophets. I am not come to destroy. But to fulfill. Jesus kept the law. Perfectly. In letter and in spirit. He didn't have a problem with the law. He understood that the law reflected the nature and the character of God, the holiness of God. He, he lived inside the bounds of the law. Now listen to me. The Pharisees tried to accuse him of not doing that. Oh, you, y'all, y'all ate, you picked grain on the Sabbath. Your disciples picked grain on the Sabbath. And, and Jesus rebuked that legalism. He said, David ate the showbread in the temple. You healed somebody on the Sabbath. And Jesus said, so is it somehow now not lawful to do good on the Sabbath? And so he's rebuking that legalism because the Pharisees had got in the it's all law ditch. But Jesus didn't violate the law, never. Not in thought, not in word, not in deed. He kept the law perfectly. He fulfilled it. Not one jot or one tittle, he said, will pass away until I have fulfilled it all. Romans chapter 3 and verse 31. And I, 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 didn't, I didn't give her this verse to put up there, but if you look at the 28th verse, it, it, it talks about how that no man has ever been justified by the works of the law. No man has ever been justified by the law. He's never been made right with God by the law. But then he goes on to say in the 31st verse, so, and he's, again, he's asking these questions and answering them with strong language. So do we make void the law because we have faith in Christ? Do we, can we now, because we have put our faith in Christ and been justified, we have peace with God by our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, so do we just cast the law aside? Do we make it void? 
Do we say it's no good? God forbid. In fact, he said we establish the law. So let me be real clear about what Paul's saying there. I don't, I don't want to muddy this water for you either. No man has ever been saved by keeping the law. No man has ever been saved by keeping the law. No man has ever kept the law perfectly except the man Christ Jesus. All the rest of us have failed. All the, none of us are righteous, no, not one. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No man has ever been saved by the keeping of the law. But that was not the purpose of the law to begin with. The purpose of the law was to reveal the offense so that we could repent of our sin and turn in faith to Christ for salvation. The law led us to grace. And then grace wrote the law on our heart. Now that's what the Old Testament says about the law. That, that God took away the stony heart out of us and replaced it. So that the law of God is now written in the heart of a believer. Whether you had this Bible laying in your lap or not, when you become a Christian. Listen, when I, be, when I became a true Christian, there were some things in my life that I knew from the very moment that I was saved that they had to go. Was that true with you? I mean, there, you, nobody had to tell me, you need to stop this, you need to quit. When I repented, when I, can, when I acknowledged that I'm a sinner in, in desperate need of a Savior, and I submitted to Christ as my Lord, I knew when I stood up, there are some things that you have to stop. I was under grace now, but grace taught me. John Newton wrote the song. It was grace that taught my heart to fear, and it was grace that relieved my fears. He wrote his law. In our heart, it was, it, was, it was the law that led us to grace, and then it was grace that wrote the law on our hearts and teaches us how that we can live a kind of life that honors a holy God and points other people to Him. Um, Titus chapter 2, I'm going to read this. I'm almost done, I promise you. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. We're talking about grace that brings salvation hath appeared. But what else does it do? teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. The law of God teaches us the standards of God, the principles of God, the precepts of God. We know how we all live because it's been codified with us, for us on paper and written in our heart. And the Spirit and the law are not in contradiction with one another. They're walking hand in hand together. And so it teaches us the grace of God um, with the law of God teaches us how to deny ungodliness, worldly lust, live soberly, righteously, godly in this present world. While we look for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. The Bible, grace does, never makes light of sin. It never makes light of the transgression of the law. It redeems us from the curse of the law. It delivers us from the penalty of the law. It breaks the power of the law. But it's not in opposition to the law. They're working together. We read this verse a few nights ago, a few Wednesday nights ago. And I love how John writes so very plainly. In his first epistle in the second chapter, verse number four, he said, He that saith, I know him. He that saith, I know Christ. And keepeth not his commandments. 
is a liar. And the truth is not in him. John's not making light of the commandments. In fact, he went on to say, if you say that you know Jesus, you ought to walk how Jesus walked. How did Jesus walk? According to the law. In spirit and in letter, according to the law. There's no contradiction. There's no conflict there. Listen, where the law becomes wrong is when we use the law to, 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 to attempt to save ourselves. Where we get in the ditch about grace is when we think grace gives us a license to live any way that we want to live. It doesn't. Grace empowers us to live for Jesus, not to serve the flesh. Let me, let me see if I can say it real clearly for you. The law points out sin. And grace saves us from our sin. The law is the will of God. And grace is the power to do the will of God. We do not obey the law in order to be saved, but because we are saved. They're not at war with each other. B both of them are helping us. Both of them are tools of God working in our lives to help us stay on that straight and narrow path that is for our good, that is for His glory, and that will make us the kind of witness to the world that the world needs in order to be drawn to Him. And I would submit to you, if the world never sees any distinction in our life, they won't want anything we have. It's the life that we live that testifies of His grace at work in us, of His power at work in us. I found this, this one verse in Revelation chapter 14, verse 12, that blends those two, right? At the, and I believe this is at the end of the age. This is during the tribulation. Um, after the midpoint of the tribulation is when this verse is actually used. Here's the patience. I looked that word up. It literally means steadfastness. Here, this is what the saints stand on. They keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Now listen to me. John's not saying it's Jesus plus. If you have Jesus in your life and you're following him as the Lord of your life, what did Jesus do with the commandments? He walked in them. Now you and I are not going to do that as perfectly as he did, but that's where that grace comes back to forgive us and cleanse us and strengthen us and empower us. We don't have to live under that dominion of sin anymore. In the same context that Spurgeon gave that earlier quote, he said this, The law of God is the what. The grace of God is the how. The law of God is the standard. The grace of God is the means. The law of God is the effect God wants to see. The grace of God is the cause that brings forth that effect. That's good. Spurgeon wasn't in the ditch on either side. Spurgeon knew the value of the law and the value of grace. They can't do each other's job, but they work hand in hand to do the work of God in our lives and the work of God through our lives. Now, 
The Ten Commandments are God's law. And we can, I don't even get into a long discourse about this, but the Jewish people had civil laws and they had ceremonial laws that were never meant to apply to the church. But there is no evidence whatsoever anywhere in God's Word that the moral law of God contained in the Ten Commandments has ever been nullified, period. The, the, those Ten Commandments were never spoken um, in an, of in an ill manner in the New Testament. Jesus reiterated them, Paul reiterated them, the commandments of God are, they stand. The first four deal with our relationship with God, the last six deal with our relationship with each other. Jesus summarized them in two. Love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. He said on these two hang all the law and the prophets. Now, you, you know what the legalists did. They took 10 and made 613. And Jesus said, you've overcomplicated. You're trying, to, you're trying to save yourself, and the law that ain't what the law was given for. The law was here to make your offense abound, and here are the offenses. If you violate any of these six, you have sinned against your fellow man. And against the Holy God. If you violate any of these four, you have sinned against the Holy God. Romans chapter 13 verse 10 said, Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. So now Paul says, we can boil it all down to one. Don't work any, don't work any ill towards your neighbor and you fulfill the law. In the verses that follow Romans 13, 1, Paul instructs us, how to live our lives in such a way that we point other people to Jesus. So this is verse 10, that, that love don't work any ill to his neighbor, love fulfills the law. Then he tells us how we ought to live our life. Not, not people walking in darkness, not people in revelry, not people in drunkenness, not people in wickedness. But we ought to live our lives in such a way that we point other people to Jesus. And he concluded that thought in verse 14 when he said this, Put you on the Lord Jesus Christ. What, what, if we put on the Lord Jesus Christ, we're going to walk like Jesus walked. How did Jesus walk? He walked in the letter and in the spirit of the law. So here's what Paul said. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Walk like he walked. Don't use grace as an opportunity to feel the lust of your flesh. Paul said the, said that, said the same thing in Galatians when he's arguing. He said, now I'm, I'm telling you, Grace has set you free from the law, but don't use your liberty as an occasion to serve your flesh, but by love serve one another. That's what grace and the law does in our life. So, God's law and God's grace gives us the ability to walk in liberty. We are free from sin's penalty. The sin's, sin's power has been broken in our life. We're at liberty to love God. We're at liberty to love people. We're at liberty to walk according to the Spirit of God, not being led by the lust of the flesh, but being led by the Spirit of God from the inside out to walk in the way of Christ. And when we do that, we are a reflection of God's character. We declare to the world the beauty of His holiness and the depths of His love at the same time. We point people to the cross. That's where I ended at last week, and that's where I'm going to end at this week. If you want to know how holy God is, you look at the cross. If you, want to look at, if you want to know how loving God is, you look at the cross. How much did he hate sin? So much so that he sent his son.
to die. He, didn't, he couldn't excuse it. He wouldn't overlook it. He sent his son to die for it. You want to know how much he loves the sinner? Same thing. He sent his son to deliver us. So we need to stay out of the ditch. We need to stop pretending that law and grace are enemies and that they're contradicting to one another. They have a purpose for us. They have a purpose in us, both to save us and to use us as witnesses for Christ. And let me just close with this as our musicians come. I know it's not a super evangelistic message this morning, but I promise you I could take you through the Ten Commandments this morning and prove to every person in this room that we have violated every one of those commands, if not in the letter and the spirit. In fact, Jesus, he said this. You, you've heard it said, it's been written, thou shalt not commit adultery, but I say unto you, he that looketh upon a woman with a lust in his heart has already committed adultery on the inside. So, so by the spirit of the letter, we have all transgressed the law. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Every person in this room, which means not one of us is qualified for heaven. Not one of us is going to get to heaven because we are transgressors. But God made a way by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for the penalty of our sin to be paid for and from the power, for the power of sin to be broken in our life. And, and, and if you don't know Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the law will condemn you so that His grace can save you. And He'll do that this morning. For you, just as much as he did it for me, just as much as he did for every other believer. Once that guilt is established, and you can see this pattern all through God's Word. Once that guilt is established, and once it settles in your heart, and you understand, I need to be saved. Then you can turn in repentant faith to the Lord Jesus Christ, and find his mercy, his forgiveness, and his salvation. He's calling us to forgiveness. He's calling us to freedom. He's calling us to a new life in Christ. His law and His grace is working together to bring that to pass. Let's stand together. Father, I pray that you would add your blessing to this time of invitation. I pray that you'd help us as believers to recognize how the law and grace walk together not only to bring us to a place of salvation, but also to continue that work of sanctification in our lives. To be able to overcome sin, to be more than conquerors. Lord, I pray if there's one here this morning that doesn't know Christ as their personal Savior. In fact, I, I'm afraid that we as a church have missed this too much. It's the weight of sin. It's feeling that weight of sin that bows our heart in repentance and that makes us lift our eyes to Jesus as the only means of salvation. And so God, if there's one person here this morning that doesn't know Christ as Lord and Savior, they don't know what it, what it feels like to be forgiven and set free, to have that load of guilt lifted, to be free from that penalty. I pray that even in this moment, the Holy Spirit of God and the law of God would do that work in their heart to convict, to convince, to bring them to Christ. 
I pray that you just have your way. Do whatever you want to do. We'll praise you and give you glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>